bleepin' bloop since 1988. Today we're talking about fans of Chiptune. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Phanthropological. My name is Nick G, and today we're going to be talking about the bit crushinist of genres, chiptune. And here with me to do that are my two best friends, Nick T. You can uh, call me the Mario Brothers because on this chiptune rich episode, I'm going to be holding down the B button. Ooh. Can I just reuse that when we go back to speedrunning? I'm just going <laughs> to go back. And do just that. insert that. Yep. Yeah. Go for it. And Nick Z. Hello, everybody out there. Uh, I am a square wave. (laughs) Sure. Why not? (laughs) Works for me. As she mentioned so eloquently at the top of this episode, this week we are talking about fans of chiptunes, but might turn into more of an educational episode because it's it's a big episode. What what can I say? There's a lot happening in the world of chiptune. Yeah. And only a small fraction of it do I understand. Yep, there's there's a lot of different things. <laughs> to help get you into this episode and to give you a little bit of background into the wide world of chiptunes, I have got a little bit of a history and origins and some various fandom facts to get us started. Facts. Chiptunes, which are also known as chip music or 8-bit music, is a style of synthesized electronic music which is made for a programmable sound generator, though the term is also often used for music made in the tracker format. What is that? We'll come back to that, I'm sure. It's intended to sound like PSG-created music when it's in a tracker format. The music is often composed with simple waveforms, such as pulse waves, square waves, triangle waves, and sawtooth waves. You thought you wouldn't have to use any math after high school. (laughs) If you're getting into this, you still probably don't, but there's a little bit of math. Although real-time synthesized music has been possible since as early as 1951, it wasn't until the golden age of video arcade games, that is the late 70s and early 80s, that chiptune music began to appear in video games and by extension to reach the masses. Of particular note, artists such as Yellow Magic Orchestra had started sampling video game music in the late 70s, which had a major influence on music that would later come in the 8 and 16-bit eras. I'm not going to go through a whole history. I've just got one more little bit of history because there's, there's so much minutia. <laughs> there's so much there's little. Lot. Yeah. Uh, various advances in computing, such as frequency modulation synthesis, FM synthesis, which I'm sure G would like to say some things about. MIDI and sample based sound synthesis furthered chiptune music up until the end of the 1980s, where chiptune music declined in popularity until a resurgence in interest in the mid 2000s with mainstream music leveraging the art form again. Hmm. Have either of you heard Girl by Beck? I'm sure I have. Okay. Probably at some point. So that's not the resounding answer you're looking for. but No, that's okay. Yeah. It has a particular little medley at the beginning where it goes, do, 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 do. And it's like, it's an, it's an 8-bit thing. And then it transitions into the main multi-polyphonic, whatever you want to call it, instrumental bits of the real song. There were some other songs like uh, On Mm -hmm. Top by The Killers that also leveraged 8-bit music. And songs like Of That Time kind of rekindled an interest in Mm chiptunes. But we could probably have a whole episode on the history of chiptunes, and I'm not doing that without a guest. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. It's probably wise. Mm-hmm. I took a look at interest in Shiptune music from 2004 using Google Trends. There wasn't a lot to say. There was an increase in the 2000s in interest in Chiptune music from 2004 until about August 2010. And then it kind of went on a decline to about 2004 levels since then. Can you guess what the top country is for Chiptune music? Japan. Singapore. <laughs> Ooh. All right. So we got Singapore and Japan. Those are the guesses? Yep. Those are the guesses. Okay. Whoever said Japan, you're at least in the top 10. <laughs> yeah. Vindicated. Yeah. The countries in order Sweden, Norway, Finland, the Netherlands, Canada, Australia, Denmark, the United States, the United Kingdom, and Japan. Hey. Is there something about being cold ah. that makes you interested in chiptune? I think it. you were talking about, um, I don't think we've ever talked about it on the episode, but gee, privately you've talked a lot about the Euro style uh, synthesizer setup. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's just some overlap with the electronic music. <laughs> Quite a big overlap. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. I had a hard time. I was trying to find some information on the size of the fandom, mm-hmm. and I didn't have a lot of waypoints to look to. There's not like one particularly iconic area. It's not like I can go to IMDb and kind of look that up. The Chiptune subreddit has about 22,000 subscribers. There is a particular group of artists called Anna, Anamana, <laughs> Anamanaguchi. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I, I always get the, it's the Na and Ma. I always get them reversed. They released their album Endless Fantasy on Kickstarter and managed to get 7,000 backers and over 250,000 US dollars in funding. Whoa. Wow. Uh, DJ Cutman. Uh, which is somebody who we've had the chance to meet at Con Bravo, has almost 9,000 followers on Facebook. I'm not sure if that's technically chiptune or EDM or video game music, but uh, that's a waypoint. Got another one for you. Yeah, go for it. The most popular uh, chiptune playlist on Spotify mm-hmm. uh, has about 11,000 followers. Okay, that's good. Yeah. That's in line with some of the other data that I managed to get. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ben Briggs, who I think his YouTube page says like video game music, chiptunes, coffee, or EDM, chiptunes, coffee, or something like that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. He has over 12,000 subscribers on YouTube, so it's probably safe to say that the number of fans of chiptune music is probably in the tens of thousands. Yeah. I think it's probably about right. Like, I mean, it's always hard to say because there's like the lowest level of interest and then like diehard fans. Well, it's like the iceberg, right? The ones you see and the ones you don't. Okay. I did manage to find some fan terms for this week's episode. They are less so fan terms and potentially more musically oriented. Mm. Can either of you tell me what a sample is? A short clip of music played on loop. A short... No, you know what? Not even short. A clip of something. Mm. That's all a sample is. Okay. A recording of something. Yep, more or less. So that, that's one of the things. It comes up because chiptune music is based on different samples. They may not be of real instruments, but they are useful. Well, there's, there's a lot of chiptune music that is like remixing existing video game themes and things like that. Like DJ Cutman does a lot of that. Yes. We'll take 
themes and like recapitulate them and uh, chop them up and move them around. So yeah. Yep. Note, like for anyone familiar with music, a note is, you know, like a particular frequency of a sample that's played often like an instrument would play. So like your C, your C sharp or G. Mm -hmm. Yep. There are tracks or channels, which is a space where a sample is played back at a time. Some hardware limits the number of channels that are available. So you might see, like, I think Game Boy supports, like, four channels. Yeah, this was a thing that I thought was pretty interesting. As the owner of a monophonic synthesizer, <laughs> the, you know, skirting limitations, a lot of chip tune, a lot of those chips can only drive, like, one or two sounds at a time. So it's like, how do you make chords? Arpeggios. It was, was mostly arpeggios. <laughs> so, like, chip tune, a lot of chip tune music is, like, arpeggio-based makes it i just kept like listening to some and i'm like man if you like good ad bits like add, like increase the resolution it would sound a lot like dance music or like 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 new order or like like synth pop some synth pop from from the 80s but yeah yeah uh, an arpeggio for those not in the know is when you take a chord and you play out the individual notes yep another fan term which is again mostly a musical term a pattern which is a group of tracks that represents a full section of a song order which is a sequence of patterns that defines the layout of a song but there were also two terms that i found that were more specific to chiptunes uh did either of you come across the term fake bit fake bit no yes okay oh okay sorry i just nodded off i'm like of course neither of you heard of this <laughs> uh, what did you hear about fake bit z all i heard about fake bit was that it uh, uses chiptune sounds but they're weirdly enough synthetic they're not like created by a specific chip okay uh yeah i i mostly found something similar to that uh, i also saw i think in the chiptune subreddit that people were talking about don't worry about fake bit it's not a thing because <laughs> it, it's poorly defined yeah but on the tv tropes website they talk about fake bit in their article on chiptunes and they talk about music that is possible to be performed mm -hmm. on a sound chip but may not have been written on the original sound chip so it could be yeah. written on modern yeah. hardware it could be with a tracker and then somebody exploits the like really specific parts of the sound chip mm -hmm. but it doesn't have to be like i have my computer hooked up to a game boy <laughs> yeah yeah did either of you come across the term rip tunes rip no again no, no. okay this was a more extreme version of fake bit music that uses chiptune sounds, so probably particular sound samples, whether or not that piece could actually be played on a particular sound chip. Oh, man. What's your favorite thing that you learned about chiptune that you didn't know before? That's a, a subgenre of it is called keygen. Keygen? Yes, yes. It's like, apparently, it's like a super tiny subgenre because... Is like an appreciation, a fandom around musical signatures attached to software keys. What? Yeah. That was very esoteric. Is it like, because software keys are just like long strings of characters, they somehow use that to generate music? Is that what it is? I don't know if they use the characters to generate the music, or if like the music is acting as a signature to show that it's an authentic fake key for pirated software, but somehow it's related to software keys that is some man yeah there's some very specific stuff going on there oh yeah oh yeah hey welcome to the chat l grand team 
we're talking about some chip tunes. Do you guys have any more fast facts before we? Oh no, there's more in the chat. <laughs> How about somebody else address that because I'm losing my voice. Sure. Well, El Grand Team. Normally, we talk about different fandoms every week, so like we try to vary it up. We try to cover a broad range of stuff from like just general TV shows, uh, movie. Oh, we haven't really touched specific movie franchises yet. It's kind of uncovered ground. But like video games, uh, comics, big name properties like Harry Potter, smaller things like SCP. Yeah, the SCP Foundation. And we talk about what these things are, but we also try to talk about what the people who are into these things are like to try to figure out are all fandoms essentially different? Are they all essentially kind of the same? People interested in these different things to like sort of meet the same ends? Is it always about community? Is it always about having like this mastery of a subject? Or is it all about creating something based on that subject in a bigger community of fellow fans? Like, What's the deal with these fans? Yeah, the premise is like everyone is a fan of something and we're just trying to like kind of dig in and find out what uh, what makes each person sort of a fan of the particular things that they're fans of. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of similarities, but there are also a lot of differences, and we try to cast as wide a net as possible. Yep. We have not talked about YouTubers yet. Not specifically. Maybe an episode for a future season. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to dive into the famous last words from last episode? Yeah, let's do that. Sure. Okay, so famous last words is a part where we revisit some words we said last episode, usually before we've done any research about this week's episode. So we did this before any of us knew anything about chiptunes, because chiptunes is not a thing that we normally know about. Mm-hmm. Z, your famous last words were Is there an artist who treats different chips like different instruments? Is there a band where someone plays, for example, the Genesis, the NES, and so on? I feel like I was trying to find a a needle in an 8-bit haystack. Could not find anything that fit that description. The closest I came was actually Anamanaguchi, since I don't think they simultaneously play a Game Boy and an NES, but those two chips feature into their work. And other bands also use like multiple chips, but I didn't come across any band that basically treats like an NES chip as their guitar and a Game Boy chip as their keyboard and a Genesis chip as their percussion, which is what I was wondering about. And it seems like people won't get into this once we get into the why. But seems like people uh, generally stick to one chip because of various complexities, limitations. All right. Yeah, it's probably pretty difficult, especially for playing live, to <laughs> get multiple chips going at once. I mean, you can if you can find a way to jam a MIDI controller into each system. Uh, maybe you could, but yeah. I mean, wouldn't that be a little bit discordant yeah. too? Like I. I don't know about you, but I feel like I wouldn't want to hear a Genesis and a NES and a Game Boy play together. It would sound, even if they harmonized, it would sound weird. Sound like robots singing to each other. Uh, wait, didn't somebody do that? They made like a robotic Metallica or something? That sounds pretty cool. Maybe? Yeah. Sounds like something Metallica fans would do or something somebody would do with Metallica. I'll have to I'll try, try to dig that up later. My famous last words from last episode were, what's the difference between chiptunes and EDM fans? 
I uh, I might have asked a really big question in a really small space. <laughs> so suffice to say, I didn't find anything definitive. Oh, there is a site that you can go to called everynoise.com. It's useful for figuring out different types of music. And it's not far from electronic music. Like, chiptune music is not far from electronic music when you take a look at that site. But you can also go there and kind of explore different musicians and artists in that space. Mm-hmm. Algren team is asking a question here. If any of y'all know about the uh, upcoming Logan Paul versus KSI fight <laughs> and Subnautica, do we know anything about that? Or thoughts on the Arctic DLC? I know of Logan Paul. I do not know who KSI is. I own Subnautica and have not played it, as is the case with many of my Steam games. <laughs> Let's find out who or what KSI is. They're both YouTubers. Shocking. And like previous... Shocking. <laughs> Previously, previously KSI and another YouTuber had some sort of beef, mm-hmm. so they brought it to a boxing match. Actually, boxed. KSI won because he, uh, is, I think he's a fan of boxing, or he's got relatives who box, so he like knows a thing or two about actual boxing, whereas his opponent did not. But the thing with this Logan Paul thing is that like he's he's a different body type to uh, KSI's original opponent. So, like, there are all these things. There's even, for uh, anybody watching, listening to this after the fact, there's even a game theory about which one will win if they happen to box. What? Because of body types and how boxing works and, like, different techniques, whether you're, like, in really fast with a bunch of jabs and then pull away, or if you're, like, playing a long game trying to tire your opponent out. And uh, it's, according to that video, if Matt, Mr. Matt Pat is anything to go by, KSI might be in trouble. So here's what I'm discovering doing a quick Google here. Sure. KSI is a boxer. Logan Paul is not. I think that's your answer. Who <laughs> boy. I don't I don't know how unless unless Logan Paul brings a knife. <laughs> yeah, you know, bring a knife to a boxing fight. That's the saying, right? Yeah. I think KSI's got it in the bag. Alright. Definitive answer from G. Uh, I don't have a definitive answer, but I hope Logan Paul gets punched. Does that count? Yeah. That's an opinion? Wishes. We just have wishes. Yeah, we just have wishes. <laughs> yeah. El Grand Team saying, it's shanked out of nowhere. Yep, well, I guess some of us are going to find out. <laughs> yeah. Which one's fighting Conor McGregor after that? <laughs> Both of them, because it's, it's going to take a team. Yeah, it's going to take an unlikely <laughs> set of heroes or villains That's or true. whatever. <laughs> point is they'll both get a lot of youtube hits which i think is probably the actual goal probably yeah what are we doing i didn't make a lot of progress in uh my famous last word so let's go to mike's oh okay yeah mike had asked these people who make chip tunes do they care what version of the chips they use are i did not dig into this specifically but the answer is yeah yeah people do care yeah like people specifically will choose like the genesis or like a commodore or amiga or whatever they they pick specific chips or specific trackers they use like the fama tracker all that kind of stuff thanks for joining us cell grand team sorry we don't know a lot about youtube yeah or boxing glad you had a good time (laughs) yeah catch you later yeah what i learned that was kind of interesting is that the commodore 64 had a very versatile music chip in it which i thought was neat Mm. not something i would expect yeah not at all talking about the Game Boy doesn't have a lot. It just uses Pulse. 
But the Commodore 64 can use pulse, sawtooth, triangle, and noise. Ah, yes, pseudo random numbers. <laughs> There's pseudo random noise, and then <laughs> this one's just noise. Oh. Which is just static, which is useful for creating a snare drum like sound. Oh, shoot. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yep. Ow. Yeah. I mean, if you don't have a lot to work with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, unfortunately, didn't dig into a lot of Mike's question either but gee you asked this gem oh uh, yeah yeah <laughs> a majority of chiptunes do not use chips when i asked that question my theory was like the sounds the thing right if you achieve the end result then the, the manner in which you got there is relevant and that turned out to not quite be the case people seem to care a lot whether <laughs> it's made on chips or made on a modern synthesizer, which is uh, typified by terms like fake bit, which Wiktionary adds is also an anagram for fat bike. <laughs> Th- thanks, Wiktionary. <laughs> Always got our back there. Uh, yeah, I-, I ran across a blog post on Chip Flip, which doesn't call it Chip Tune; it calls it Chip Music. And it talks about how chip music could be a medium, which is if you make noise or music with a chip, that it's it's chip music. And then there's um, chip music as a genre or a form, which like has its own sound to it. It's kind of EDM based. Most of what I listen to is like EDM inspired, but with uh, with an emphasis on I don't know maybe note combinations that people are used to hearing in video games. I find this a lot of that. Like those little things that people will trigger and you'd be like, oh man, that feels like that game that I played. I mean, I think that's <laughs> that's uh, that's kind of part of what's going on with chiptune. And then it had chip music as culture. It focused on craftsmanship and competitiveness earlier on when it was mostly a tracker format. People were loading, not literal physical cards, but like pages of programming onto their old computers and having the tunes play from that. And I was like, more a programming situation, whereas now there's more emphasis on live performance. So yeah, so like, I think, I don't know, there's like, there's a bigger community than I thought around using actual chips. There's also some people are still making things you can use to adapt your old systems to play music. Like there's a cartridge you can turn to the NES called NES MIDI, Ooh. which turns it into a MIDI controller. <laughs> Or a MIDI synthesizer. Hey. Yeah. Oh. People do similar things with the Game Boy and even the DS. That's not what I would have expected. No. Because that, even even that was crossing a line for some people. Right? Like, it, is it's too recent a system? Mm-hmm. Like, some people obviously will make it with, like, you can get a, a synthesizer sounding like a like an 8-bit uh, chip. You can also, post-processing, you can bit crush everything and reduce the sample rate and everything like that and have it sound like it. But uh, And there's some out there that do that, but there's, there's a lot of people adherent to, to using those chips, which seems like a pain to me, but uh, it's got to be worth it for them. Well, you know, G, when you like a thing, there's only one right way to like it. That, that's correct. Yeah. You're absolutely yeah, obviously. correct. Yeah. <laughs> I just looked at this Every Noise website. Holy crap. <laughs> so I'd come across that once before after spotify released its list of like this is the type of the genre of music that you like and i was like what the heck is this genre that you put me in like what is it and then i i went to the site and it's like oh here are some artists and i'm like well i do listen to those artists 
So you got me. Look me up for that quiz <laughs> or whatever. Sorry? You said, you said it was a quiz or something? No, no. Do you remember like your year in review for Spotify? Oh, yes. Yeah. If you try to go there now, it won't really bring up the same results. Oh, okay. Yeah, unfortunately. But it's it's very, it's very useful, especially when it comes to music, because there's so many genres and subgenres and particular niches and and whatnot. So it's very helpful. My brain is melting just looking at this, but like ah. in a good way. <laughs> All right, so that brings us to the question: Why do people like chip tunes? Why? Why do people want to take their old crappy consoles, jam some crap into them, and play some music out of them? Point first, because they like old video games. <laughs> they just want to, as I was saying, just want to like click those endorphins on from playing the video games, but like with music. Or maybe that sound, that like timbre from, you know, the first Sonic game or something is like, that hits you right in the sweet spot. And you're like, I want to hear Bach played with that uh, timbre. I want to I expand. I want to hear more music made like that. And that hits me right in the sweet zone. I'd say basically as a result or carry on from video games, not just wanting to replicate them, but like taking what they heard in video games and, and pushing them further. As an aside, I think that classical music is probably the like least useful. Like, I feel like that doesn't hit a lot of notes for people if you were to take chip tunes. I could be wrong, but like. I feel like a lot of video game music is written like classical music. Yeah. Especially in like Final Fantasy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's tons of influence there. Think about Chrono's theme. Man. Very orchestral. Yeah, but it's got all sorts of like weird stuff that doesn't... You know what? There's like a whole 8-bit music (laughs) theory on that. (laughs) Oh, 8-bit music theory. Shout out to... Yeah, I was just like, I'm trying to like, they use a whole bunch of terms. It's like, well, you know, it's in this mode. It's like a Lydian mode. And then it's supposed to go like this progression. It's got like tension or whatever. I'm like, I don't remember. Just go watch the video. It's like Chrono Trigger. Chrono Trigger is all about like chord progressions that don't resolve properly. And how that's, that was it. That, that gives yeah. it a neat sound. But yeah, yeah. One of my favorite YouTube channels, 8-Bit Music Theory. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. I like, I, th- I think that nostalgia is a component of that because like if you are interested in making music and you have the entire world of instruments whether synthetic or or actual like we've passed a point where you need to actually be able to play an instrument yes you can be the world's best cellist or violinist or whatever but you can also just like compose you don't need to be an expert at a particular musical instrument and so if we take music and make it akin to art then you can choose the palette that you paint your masterpiece in. Yes. And you just decided to use the 256 colors that came on the NES. That's right. You decided to use Mario Paint. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, that's probably its own thing, too. I was making music in Mario Paint. It was fun as heck. <laughs> oh, yeah. You stick the Yoshi sounds in there. Kiku. <laughs> yeah, okay. Nostalgia, definitely a component. But, like... Seems like a lazy answer, because pretty much every fandom comes down to some amount of nostalgia. Yeah. And one thing that I found interesting that is actually against that idea, there was an article about uh, Anamana Gucci. Anamana? Banamana Gucci. (laughs) Manamana Gucci. It was on Kotaku, the chiptunes band that might just break through. And one of the things that they'd mentioned was actually how they kind of 
distanced themselves, not deliberately, but um, here's a quote from that article. The community has been historically something of a private one, although video game fans often easily recognize and immediately adhere to the retro sounds that comprise the sonic landscape, the majority of chiptune artists have always been strict about divorcing themselves from associations with simple video game nostalgia. They don't play video game music, and they don't want you to assume they do. In fact, Berkman's primary influences aren't chiptune artists at all, but bands like Weezer, Seattle-based emo pioneers Sunny Day Real Estate, mm-hmm. And Omaha indie rockers Cursive. So what drew him to start messing around with NES sound chips? Definitely the nostalgia aspect and the youthful simplicity of the sound. It's a great happy aesthetic. Later on in the article, they go on to say, that's kind of the story of my life, being a bridge between nerd and cool. (laughs) But like, they're deliberately like, oh yeah, like sure, there's an element of nostalgia, but like, that's not why I'm making chiptune music. Like, those aren't my musical influences. Hmm. You can just like the sound. It feels like people like the idea of the restrictiveness of it. Because there's there's a lot about, like, how do you make, you know, how do you play a chord? How do you get it to make, like, you know, good, like, like percussion? And there's a lot of people, like, squeezing, squeezing sounds out of chips that they were not originally meant to make. But, like, you can do so much with just, like, a small chip is probably really appealing to a lot of people. Yeah. It's like making your own NES games all over again, you know? It's taking these little bits and bobs and little pieces that, you know, back when the NES was still a thing, people made this, that, and the other with. But maybe they didn't have the time or the ideas of making something as grand as their own very complicated 3D platformer or something with those limited tools. It's interesting they mentioned that, geez, talking about plugging things into like the little space because last week we talked about retro gaming and i mentioned all this work that they did to make shovel knight feel like an nes game the one example of where they actually made things like an nes game is when the 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 musical artist vert they made everything in uh, i think it's nest tracker so technically you could play all of the music back through the nes (laughs) you could take yourself back and make this modern game in the old way (laughs) Mm-hmm. if you are so driven yeah well like one of the things that early on in history actually drove it mm-hmm. after the second wave of personal home computers hit it was very easy and very cheap to get a hold of computers from the first wave <laughs> <laughs> so you know a very inexpensive way to if i could just figure out how to get the thing to make music i got an instrument yeah and that's what a lot of people did I mean, if you want to get your hands on an NES in the box, it's probably <laughs> not the cheapest way to go about it. You might as well buy a synthesizer at that point. But uh, Hey, you can just do what my brother did and just take one out of the dump. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Yeah. Works yeah. just fine. Just a little dirty. Yeah. But like, you know, if you got one of those old things sitting around, you can find one in a thrift shop or something. You got yourself an instrument without paying too much for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's an important distinction because it could sound like, oh, that's a really thin synth sound there's not a lot of oomph to it but there's been enough of it that people when they hear that they recognize oh it's doing that on purpose it's its own thing so it's no longer a substitute for something else yeah it's kind of morphed into its own genre like you said earlier it's not like they're playing video game music it's that they're using the elements of video game music to create new music Mm -hmm. related to that one of the interesting things that I'd, i'd read which i thought that this would maybe be in one of your wheelhouses actually by way of analogy 
G, uh, you listen to the Proto Men, right? Like you've heard some of the music? Yes. And I remember you were kind of fond of their first album, but not so much of their second album, right? Yeah. Yeah, because the first album was kind of raw. It had this like particular sound that was less produced. Mm. Yes. Yeah. In this article that I was reading, it was talking about how like chiptune music is kind of the punk rock of electronic music because a lot of electronic music is very produced. It's got a very high production value. It sounds really good, but it maybe doesn't have the same raw simplicity mm-hmm. that you might find in like chiptune music. The article that I read it from was talking about like in the same way that indie games take notes from a lot of classic games, mm-hmm. but like take them in a different direction, like Spelunky and Cave Story. Chiptune music is taking that idea of like a highly produced thing and like distilling it into simpler, raw, lo-fi mechanic stuff. Yeah, because you're dealing with, you know, the small little thing, which may not always react exactly the way you want it to. You know, it could do a little a little squeal, which I heard in some chiptune, some chiptune tracks in preparation for this. But yeah, it also another thing it shares with punk is, for the most part, speed. Oh, that's true. It's usually pretty high BPM. A lot of it's pretty fast. Hmm. Very upbeat. I don't know if you'd characterize punk as upbeat, but it's fast. <laughs> well, it's got a high tempo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I just keep thinking of like Blitzkrieg Rock, but I'm not even sure yeah. if that's a... Uh, is that punk rock technically? <laughs> oh yeah, it's the Ramones. Okay. That's, that's punk for sure. Yeah. I had a really hard time with doing the research for this episode because on the surface I was like, oh yeah, chip tunes. That's a pretty niche thing. But then as I was doing it, research got deeper and deeper i realized that it's like oh yeah but it's a genre of music mm-hmm. so it means talking about like as you'd already mentioned to you talking about the culture talking about the medium and talking about the fans yeah and it's like well we've kind of tiptoed along that path before and it's a challenging one like when we talk about rock progressive italian yeah italiano mm-hmm. or when we talked about the grateful dead and that, that was a different case too because there was kind of a culture around the specific band but yeah, yeah. It's hard to talk about the culture of a specific musical genre. Music. Like, it's not even, like, rave culture. No, music in general is very, very tricky. Yeah. It's very, very subjective. Well, I don't have anything to back this up, but I feel like people who are... If you were to draw a Venn diagram with prog rock fans in one circle and chiptune fans in the other circle, those two circles would be covering a lot of each other. What? Yes. What? I can tell you with 100% certainty. Because it was the summer of... Oh, it's story time. I'm, I'm on board. I want to say 2010. Okay. I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. Actually, no one else would know, so don't <laughs> And, you know, going to university, living in a house with some friends, and I'd be playing my video games or what have you. But as I often do, the sound would be off on the video game. I'm playing my own music. Yep. That was the summer I discovered prog rock. Okay. <laughs> I was listening to Emerson, Lincoln, Palmer. I was listening to Yes. I was listening to Genesis. And whenever I had that stuff on, whenever anyone else would enter that room, they're like, oh, it's not video game music again. <laughs> because of the, like, the synthesizers and the organ and that kind of thing? like the I, I think so. Bop. Yeah, the, the arpeggios and the yeah, like the classical framework of the music. That must have been it. I don't, I don't think I'd ever quite articulate exactly <laughs> why 
they thought it was video game music, but that's what they all independently of each other <laughs> called it. Eh, okay, but like I was taking what Z said, which is the overlap of people who like prog rock and like chiptune music. And he's like, that, there's a lot of overlap. And that's oh, oh yeah, that that's a different story. Yeah, okay. I, <laughs> I think we'd mentioned this either on an episode talking about Final Fantasy or video games or something to that effect. About probably about RPI, where we had been like, oh yeah, Final Fantasy takes a lot of notes from progressive rock, and I'm like, cool, I'll buy that. I, but but like Z <laughs> making a completely unfounded thing that's like, oh yeah, there's a ton of overlap between those two groups. <laughs> that that I don't buy. Maybe an mm. overlap in terms of the taste, because. On the one hand, chiptune music by its nature is kind of simplistic just because you don't have a whole lot to work with, but it can also be complex because to really like get a kind of full sound from what I was reading, you've got to make use out of as much layering as possible, especially if you're, I guess, making a fake bit song instead of an actual like song just playing your Game Boy or your NES or Genesis or whatever. Because then, you know, you're making it digitally. And even if you have these very basic building blocks, you can have a hundred tracks and layer all sorts of things over top of each other to make like this symphonic orchestral song of beeps and boops. All comes back to beeps and boops. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Music notes, P's and D's. 8-bit music, (laughs) beeps and boops. Yep. That's right. I guess it should be like, peeps and dupes <laughs> pips and dips <laughs> pops and dops <laughs> well and like that crossover between prog rock and chiptune is also just again i i mean not to bring it up from uh, rock progressivo italiano again but it's what got into the final fantasy it's what got into so many video game composers in like the 16-bit era Right, but that whole idea of layering things and being maybe a little wacky. But like, as as we mentioned, video game music is not necessarily chiptune. Like, sure, there are people that no. make video game remixes, and that's chiptunes. Yeah. But like, yeah, there's also a, like, for the most part, an entire genre, an entire group of musicians where video game music is not the source of inspiration whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I still think that if you were you were to pull up a chiptune track and you knew that it was going to be chiptune music and it presented itself as like a symphony you'd be very surprised <laughs> that's fair there's um i think there's an expectation of a type of music that it's going to be it doesn't have to be that music mm-hmm. you made it with chips it's chiptune yeah but yeah good deal it sounds like edm with a uh, bit reduction hmm. i found a bit crusher vst it was really cool Ooh. when we were releasing the pentapologic arcade hmm like z does this little section that he's like welcome to the arcade and i'm like this sounds too good we need to wreck it <laughs> yeah i'm like somebody has has got to have made a way to do this and they they did and i just like tweaked a whole bunch of settings until it sounded sufficiently compressed <laughs> but someone had mentioned earlier that you know a lot of chip two artists is more focused on live performances and one of the things that i found interesting reading this article on uh emma banana gucci i don't think i'm ever gonna be able to say it just after the podcast say it once <laughs> and just dub it in. 
It'll just be a completely different, like, intonation, and it'll just sound <laughs> perfect. But I was talking about, during these live performances, how there'll often be these really interesting visuals that are included in the performance. Mm. But they were talking about how, like, there'd be a lot of, the presentation would be these, like, very symmetric kind of, like, visuals that remind you of 8-bit style graphics, but, like, they kind of change in relation to the music, like a very dynamic kind of display. I just thought that was really interesting because when i was going into high school or when i had my first computer whichever one of those things made sense at the time music would play and you'd have the little spectrograph or whatever and there were all these different visualizations Mm. and i wonder if that style of live performance is almost a throwback to that i can see that i can see it it being a callback to those days when it was a visualization that played instead of a youtube music video (laughs) So it still kind of has that element of nostalgia in it. I mean, to a certain extent, above a certain popularity of band, that's like every band. <laughs> you know, they'll always have some sort of visual imagery and to go along unless they're doing a specific thing. Mm-hmm. But like, once you see the video kind of coalescing with the music in, in also a similarly like bit-reduced style or like a pixely, grainy sort of style, then you start to like get immersed in this this place they're inhabiting it may not be necessarily like nostalgia mm-hmm. but it's like the whole atmosphere kind of goes into this 8-bit thing and you can start to groove on it whether it's trying to invoke a video game or not mm-hmm. you sort of get the aesthetic and i can see that enhancing your enjoyment of the music a lot yeah i was really excited about this episode because i you know i was listening to a lot of chiptune music and i was kind of impressed with the variety of a bunch of it. Some of it really sound like it came off of, you know, like Game Boy and others like uh, Anamana Kuchi. Hey, I think I ought to write that time. So you just take that, dub it over every other time. <laughs> and I was reminded that, you know, as an example, they made some music for the Scott Pilgrim video game, which itself is uh, pretty meta. Hmm. And just like how different that sounded. It was evocative of like, you know, 16-bit era gaming, but it was like distinct it was its own thing but then when i came to the research it just like fizzled because it's like where do i even begin like i was hoping against hope that there would be some sort of fan survey that i could refer to it's like ah yes clearly these are the fans millennials aged like 29 to 31 who had played (laughs) only the nes and the Super Nintendo. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. That's a kind of guy, unfortunately. No. I, I can't see anything musical being super cut and dry just because, as we've said, it's super subjective. And I mean, nostalgia might be a big part of it for maybe like the majority of Chiptunes fans, but it's not necessarily a big part of it for all Chiptunes fans. Because I mean, if you're coming at it from the perspective of a composer or somebody who knows a thing or two about making music, you can appreciate it for just the, the difficulty of making either digital music, you know, the old fake bit stuff, or of making music that sounds good that's actually coming from just a video game console or old computer, as the case may be. Well, like, Chiptune's weird because it's, it's, I'm looking through this every noise map and I'm not going genre by genre but (laughs) i don't see 
another genre where the thing you use to make the music is inherent in the name of it. Uh, bit pop. <laughs> it's like the same thing. I'm. <laughs> I'm. That was something that I wanted to find out, but I didn't have the opportunity to to really dig in. Hmm. But I feel like that would have also maybe told us some things. Okay. Okay. Here's it. Here's here we go. Here we go. Oh yeah. Also, I just got to the bottom, and a bunch of it is just like piano. <laughs> don't consider that a genre, but like, so never mind about that movie. But glitch okay, hop. So, whoa, there whoa, was... electro power pop. Oh, sorry, that's two different things. Keep going, <laughs> please go on. Yeah. Okay. So there was in 2007 an eight-bit tribute album to Kraftwerk. Nice. Which makes a lot of sense, mm-hmm. given Kraftwerk's music. And Ralph Hutter, who is one of the founding members of Kraftwerk, he said, It is mind-stimulating, the minimum-maximum coming from sound levels and thoughts and ideas. Like Autobahn and Trans-Europe Express, which are two other tracks, are very basic and elementary ideas, but they offer a pattern or concept for improvisation. Hmm. So one thing about you know 8-bit chiptune is there's nowhere for the song to hide. <laughs> Like, hopefully you wrote a good song. Yeah. Because yeah. there it is. There's not a lot of obfuscation. <laughs> oh, that was one of the things that I read on the, the subreddit, uh, I think. It was talking about how, or no, it was, it was sorry, it was TV Tropes. But it was talking about how there's no in-between. Oftentimes, you will listen to chiptune music, and you will think a particular track is amazing. You will think it is terrible. But, like, there's not a lot in-between, and... There's also a lot of variation in who you ask. Hmm. Like, there are some kinds of music where you listen to it and there's, like, the Beatles. Yeah. Universally upheld as, like, pretty good. Pretty good music. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there are people that might not like it, but, like, they don't deny the force that it had and whatnot. But I get the impression with chiptune music that there's lots of contention as to what is good and what is not good. Yeah. And that there is not a lot of, like, oh, this was just kind of okay. It was mediocre. No, it was either really good or really bad. Yeah. Very divisive. Just looking around on Quora, trying to figure out this whole chiptune fan thing. Came across a comparison from one Laurie Chilvers that chiptunes is a lot like the violin in that you are sonically punished if you play it badly. And it's really only the stuff that's played, you know, decently or really, really well that people enjoy interesting i think it's a little bit interesting that in the same vein of that violin comment that with a chiptune you can actually make certain kinds of music that you couldn't with other instruments yeah like sure you can take on a guitar sound an electric guitar and distort the crap out of it (laughs) but like i don't know that you can make something sound like it's glitched out like it's unnatural in a way that you're unused to hearing no like i can't think of a sound that looks like a vcr tape that's being like (laughs) glitched out yeah but i can with 8-bit music yeah yeah because it's like something that like gets distorted in an electronic way and that it turns into static or something (laughs) of course if you sample that then you can play it at any pitch you want yeah of course (laughs) (laughs) but like i don't know that's like with a violin how you can make it screech like mad Especially if you're bad at it. Yeah. Playing it with a cat. Ah. Why? Oh, boy. <laughs> I 
Yeah. 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 Sort of speaks to another thing that I found over on Quora. Somebody had made the point that they were comparing chiptune music, like NES music specifically, to uh, later orchestrations of it, you know, because stuff gets popular. People want to buy like a CD of an orchestra doing the Castlevania soundtrack, Castlevania 1. And their point was basically, as a chiptune, that music sounds pretty good sort of because of what chiptune does. But if you transfer it over to classical instruments, it sort of loses something, the orchestration. So it seems like chips in general, I guess, just have something special about them that even like you were saying, T, you can't think of anything else that would sound glitchy except for chiptune. It's distinct enough from anything else that makes it its own instrument. I can drum on my desk and make it things hard for me later on. But like that drumming is probably going to sound like a very specific kind of drum that you could just add to a kit. But there's something distinct and specific about chiptune that I think appeals to people. Well, like, like how big is an orchestra? 60, 70 people? Yeah. How many parts yeah. do you probably have to a chiptune song? Four or five? Yeah. Eight, eight yeah. if you're really getting crazy. <laughs> Unless you're making something on modern hardware and you're just putting as many tracks as you want on there. <laughs> yep. So, say we divide those parts among the people. This is not how orchestras work, by the way, but let's just say <laughs> that we're doing that. Yeah. Yep. So you have seven or eight people playing instruments per part. Yeah. So either you write a bunch of harmonics in, which changes what it sounds like considerably, because then you have one note turning into like like a big chord, or you have all of them playing the same note at once, which changes it again, because it's probably going to be very loud and full and rich, which is kind of the opposite of what chiptune is. Yeah. An orchestra is like the like really the opposite of chiptune. <laughs> so like hearing songs move from one to the other would completely change them. Mm-hmm. Even if you can't sample, I listened to one track that sampled the Mario pipe. Yeah. Sound and I was like that like that was it. It wasn't like Mario themed or inspired. They just snuck that jump 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 in there, and I was like, okay. But yeah, I can see how you'd completely lose the the vibe. Yeah, I think it's that distinction so to speak, that draws people to it, even if they don't have any nostalgia for the days when Windows Media Player would <laughs> show you trippy like colors and and movements and that sort of thing, or like sitting in their parents' basement being a kid playing NES all night or something. Hmm. Even if there's, there's no nostalgia there, I think that's probably what pulls people in. It's an instrument. I would say it's an instrument. These various chips, they are instruments. But they didn't come about in the same way that like a guitar did, where somebody had probably a hollowed out gourd and tied some strings to it for whatever reason and started to pluck away or evolved from a harp or whatever. It just came about kind of backwards because these chips weren't and they weren't really built to play their own genre of music. They were just sort of there to make things a little bit more pleasant for people using the hardware. Yeah. Yeah, so it is like the gourd. <laughs> whacked out of our gourd. Not using it for its intended purpose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, I think that it might be time to move on to the verdict. All right, verdict time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Who wants to go? I'll go first. I was about to say, don't everybody go at once, which is my normal dad thing to say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a chip tune. I mean, it's music. Sounds like dance music. Sounds like electronic music, which I like a lot. As I said, you you up up the bit rate a little bit on this stuff, and it sounds like New Order, or you know, it sounds like it sounds like a lot of cool '80s uh, synth bands, new wave bands, and some cool dance music. I definitely heard some dubstep influenced stuff as well. So it, uh, I think it imports you know dance trends, and kind of takes them on as its own. But I I don't know. I tend not to, like, I love music a lot. And I love a lot of other different, you know, nerdy type things as well. But the two never crossed for me. I don't listen to music, you know, that that sounds like video games especially. Or I don't listen to Time Lord Rock. Or, you know, it's contentious whether or not that's a genre, but that's a conversation. (laughs) You know, and it, it doesn't cross over for me. And I think this would just be, like, Remind me of video games because it sounds like music that I listen to, but like bit crushed. And I just kind of want to be like, just, just use synthesizers. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I, I enjoyed the stuff I heard, and I'll probably listen to some more. But um, I'm not. Uh, I don't know if I if I could be described as a chiptune fan. So I am out. All right, I can go next. In a contrary story to G's, <gasps> if you want to say that chiptune is nerdy music, then it's not Weird Al. It's something different. When I did that Spotify year in review, it gave me like Otaku Core or something. And I was like, what the heck is that? And why did you give me that? I got rock. Yeah, which was surprising ah. to me. Not prog rock. Oh. Not just like just oh. boring old <laughs> rock. I got a rock. In fact, there are such interesting, <laughs> different, specific genres on there. And I didn't get any of them is like... <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, next oh, year. Boy. So I, I looked into that and I don't think it was too musically different. Like it was very close to chip tunes. That being said, I think there are a bunch of tracks that I've like added to my playlist that are definitely chip tunes. I've got a bunch of stuff from um, like DJ Cutman, uh, Hyper Potions, I'm trying to think of some other, a bunch from Amena, Amena, Amena. <laughs> I can get it right once in the episode. Anna Gucci. <laughs> yeah. And I think there are a bunch of other tracks that are related to that. So I think that I am. And I will probably at some point, even though I definitely should not, buy one of those things <laughs> just because I'm like, oh, this is cool. And then play with it for like, I don't know, a week and then forget that I have it. Yeah. That sounds like the kind of thing that I would do. So if I do it, you're welcome to call me out. <laughs> on it uh, i would say that i'm in maybe not as a as a creator but as somebody who's very interested in the culture more interested in the history now that i've done a little bit of research and definitely somebody interested in the fans but longing to know more yeah we gotta go deeper <laughs> yeah all right all right well as I, as usual adding a little bit of extra information by conclusion two things we didn't really get into the whole like physicality of composing music chip tunes on actual chips like playing your game boy like i i just have this image of like cooking up essentially a keyboard to a game boy and like playing the keyboard and it produces the game boy i that's probably not how it works probably not how it works but like that versus just the more digital 
version of like having audacity or garage band doing it that way but uh second thing t might be able to save a few dollars if you just go over to beepbox.com what? i believe or just type in a beepbox into google and uh, you'll find this website that is an online tool where you can design your own chip tunes oh, i feel like i've done those before <laughs> oh i remember now i think i was looking for i was trying to come up with something for phantomological arcade Ah. And I wasn't happy with it. So then I just asked G to make something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, this sounds 8-bit, but it <laughs> sucks. So. Yeah, I tooled around in it a little bit. It seems like it's a pretty powerful little tool. It's got a lot of a lot of stuff going on under the hood, it looks like. But as, as to my actual verdict, now that uh, I can no longer run away from that, I gotta say I'm out. I mean... I enjoy 8-bit music. I enjoy retro gaming, as uh, I made clear in the last episode. And part of that is the music, for sure. You know, builds up the whole atmosphere of the game and all that stuff. But just sort of speaking to G's story of being called out for his prog rock fandom uh, and, and having various friends separately and with apparently no collusion, calling it video game music, kind of rings true to where I fall on video game music because some of my favorite stuff comes from the SNES, particularly in Tales of Fantasia, and I feel like part of that is because it sounds a lot like the 70s organs used in prog rock. It's got that very synthetic feel, that very kind of digital but also lush kind of feel, and that lushness just isn't there in chiptunes. I'm I'm gonna l- take a little dive, take a little dip into the chiptune pool, but uh, based on what I discovered on Quora, that SNES chips aren't really used in chiptunes because the SNES's sound capabilities were based more on sampling than actual like waveform generation. Yep, that's why the Genesis sounds like a guitar. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But like that little fact kind of makes me feel like I'm probably not going to get into it. So I'm going to say I'm out. All right. Well, I recommend, even though both of you are out, that if you haven't, you should listen to some Amena, Amena, Amena. 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 Anemone. No. Anemone. That guy, Gucci. Yep. Made some good bags, made some good music. Yeah, because I think a lot of that music sounds less like it came out of a video game. Mm. Mm. With that being said, that means it's time for this week's Spotlight. Spotlight. As it turns out, I picked a Spotlight that is a little bit of a cop-out. It is not a charity, but it is something related to chiptunes. It is Game Chops. Game Chops is the record label for video game remixes. They are a group of passionate musicians and gamers who've grown up alongside video games. I believe that DJ Cutman is one of the people on that album. But what I found interesting to me and interesting to the two of you because you're both content creators and also interesting potentially to people who are listening because they are also content creators. All Game Chops remix albums and singles are sold with a Creative Commons license, allowing you to use their remixes in your streams, YouTube videos, podcasts, or other projects. So I thought that was really neat because we didn't talk about it with regard to chiptunes because I wouldn't say that chiptunes music is all about remix culture, but a lot of video game remix culture is obviously about remix culture. 
Mm-hmm. And so that was just pretty neat. So if you want to check that out, you can go to gamechops.com. I did try to find a charity, and it turns out there are both many and none. There's not like one central effort. Like I think GameChops has partnered with groupies.com on several occasions, but it's not like Humble Bundle where you can just go and there's constantly a thing for charity going on. So I couldn't find like one singular charity event other than like the Mega Manathon. Oh yeah. Which we've already covered and is not really chiptune specific. Yeah. So that's the spotlight for this week. Check out gamechops.com if you like video game remixes. If you're interested in chiptunes, but maybe not that interested and more interested on the video game side. Right. And if you're interested in hearing more of our sweet voices, we are Fanthropological. Fanthropological.com is where you can find all of our episodes dating right back to number one, Star Trek, or on iTunes and wherever good podcasts are heard. Please do leave us a rating and review where you're listening and uh, let people know what you found over here. Let people know how you felt about us. Hopefully good things. This podcast is Fanthropological, but we three are the next cast. We have found ourselves all over the internet, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Vero. We're all at the next cast over there, so head on over to your preferred social media platform and uh, check out what we're up to. And if you have an idea of a topic you'd like to see us cover on the show, please do email us, nick at the nickscast.com. Yes, please do. You can also do us a solid by smashing that subscribe button but beyond that (laughs) beyond that i gotta i gotta direct you to a specific subscribe button to smash and that would be the subscribe button over at twitch.tv slash the next cast why am i directing you to twitch.tv slash the next cast well it's because that's where we record these things live and have them streaming so that you can join us on these live calls you can interact with us during the podcast, ask us questions, figure out, you know, what are these fans all about? What are you three all about? You can feel free to drop in and just see what the next cast and what Fanthropological are even doing. And you can do that. Or, or sorry, or like our grand team, just pop in and ask us what we think of two YouTubers fighting. Yeah. I mean, we'll answer. We may not know everything about everything, but we'll uh, we'll give it a shot. <laughs> I thought that was our our podcast. Yeah, yeah. We know everything about everything. Oh, disregard. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, however much we know, or however little we know, one thing is for sure: you can come and watch us recording these episodes live at Twitch.tv/slash/TheNextCast at eight PM Eastern Time. Usually on Mondays. Except for... (laughs) (laughs) Except for when it's not. Except for when it's not. But in those cases when it's not, just, you know, go over to uh, at the next cast on Twitter and, you know, you'll see what's up. Yeah. Yeah. But... You can also... (laughs) Are you going to do it? You You can also steal Z's part of the show. Bam! (laughs) 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 Ha-ha! You may have noticed that earlier in the episode we did a little segment called Famous Last Words. And uh, that we said some things last episode. We do that at the end of every episode, including this one. And if you are at twitch.tv slash the next cast, then you can also give us some famous last words. And we'll do our best to, you know, at least look into what you've asked. And, you know, if you say something stupid, we'll still probably look into it. But you're not doing a lot of favors. So try to ask something (laughs) 
related to the episode, maybe. And speaking of... at least funny. Yeah. (laughs) You know, funny, clever, introspective. I don't know. Next week, we are going to be talking, and I I had to look this up. It's like... uh, Anna Managuchi. Anna Managuchi. Yeah, I did. I also had to look that up. Next week, we are going to be talking about fans of Lego. And you might be saying, if you're a longtime Next Cast Fanthropological listener, you might be saying, hey, didn't you do that like almost a year ago? And I'd be like, no, no, no. It's been slightly more than a year. <laughs> In our second season, episode number 21, we covered Lego fans as kind of like an introductory thing, talking about fans of Lego. Next week, though, we have a special guest who is a longtime fan of Lego. And we're hoping to get a little bit more in-depth talking with fans of lego mm-hmm. i know i've said the word lego a lot but uh that's too bad <laughs> so deal with it <laughs> folks what are your famous last words about fans of lego i'm gonna see if you already said something nope our show notes were <laughs> pretty pretty simple back then Whew. it was a simpler time mm-hmm. yeah the episode will take on a different character entirely i got a i got famous last words oh Go for it. sweet lego we all know that there are A-falls. Okay. Adult fans of Lego. Sure. But are there A-fods? Adult fans of Duplo. Oh. Okay. All right. I don't think we asked this previously. Is there a large divide between fans of Mega Blocks and fans of Lego? There's a really dumb question i could ask then there's a a question that's maybe a little bit more informative and useful why not ask both you know what that's absolutely true Uh, that's our style (laughs) why not do both (laughs) all right i'm I'm doing both i'm doubling down on lego here i go first off one that i wish was a little bit more timely how do fans feel about the corncob guy minifig what? Anybody out there who is a Judge John Hodgman fan might remember the episode in which he had a, a Lego maniac and a very concerned friend on his podcast in his internet courtroom. Oh my god! Trying to decide what a weird whether or not <laughs> trying to decide whether or not this Lego maniac should just give it all up because they could never have enough blocks to make what they desired so fervently to make. And in that discussion, the uh, discovery of Corncob Guy minifig was made by uh, Mr. Judge John Hodgman. And uh, it was kind of a running joke, but I'm curious. Well, I mean, the whole uh, no prior research thing kind of falls apart here. But I remember reading up on minifigs a little bit when we did Lego the last time. And it seemed like it was kind of a frowned upon sub-fandom of Lego fans. So I'm curious to know what to, how, how people feel about Corncob Guy. Also curious, other thing we came across were everybody's uh, Dark Age and these Lego circles. So what I'm wondering is, why do some fans come back to Lego after their Dark Age while others don't? Are some people just hardwired Lego maniacs, or is there something more to it? Money. <laughs> There's a hot dog guy. <laughs> See, let me ask you the question. Sure. 
What do you hope that you find out about Corn Cub Guy? I'm hoping to find out that there's a huge crossover between Judge John Hodgman fans and Corn Cub Guy minifig fans. Like I'm, I'm mm. hoping. I'm okay. Okay. Put another way, I'm hoping that the the mention on Judge John Hodgman caused a ripple in the Lego community, such that Corn Cob Guy is like this super popular, very sought after minifig now. <laughs> All right. Well, fingers crossed. I always hope. Oh yeah. That as we do different fandoms, we like learn of these really interesting Venn diagrams of fans. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Uh, hasn't come up yet, yeah. but. This is Z's first shot of that. Before we dive into Judge John Hodgman fandom. Man. Uh, Future episodes. Nope. IT. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> What's up, G? I was saying, all right, it's your turn. Oh, it's my turn. <laughs> and uh, it's that turn. It's that time. It's that time to turn the clocks back an hour. Because it's daylight. No, it's not. Uh, it's the end of the episode. So thank everybody for listening, and we will see you next time. So until. Wait a minute. What were your What were your favorite last words? Oh, did I not say them? I did say them. I said, "Is there a large divide uh, yeah. between fans of Megablocks and fans of Lego?" Oh yeah, it was so fast <laughs> that I forgot. Man, this episode's got to turn back the clock on this podcast. <laughs> thank you, everyone, for listening, brother. And if you weren't listening. Thank you, everyone, for listening. <laughs> and we'll see you next time. Oh Goodbye, everybody. Oh. Goodbye. start the stream and uh just let me know when you're ready g and i'll get us going oh what am i gonna say ship off the old block yeah hmm that's i mean that that <laughs> induces the kind of reaction that i'm looking for um very crunchy sounds yeah. What a bag um, of chiptunes. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're recording that, Z. Did we record that? Did oh, we, yeah. Did we, did we get that? Good. Yep, yep, we got it. Good.